Hey guys, my name is Ben Berman and welcome to the Starting It Up podcast where I interview all types of entrepreneurs uncovering actionable steps and inspiration that you can use to build your business, your side hustle, whatever it is that you're trying to create and live the life you've always wanted. On this episode, we talk with John Puma, who's the co-founder and COO of Wizio the first virtual reality-based listing platform for real estate. John's story is a great example of how entrepreneurship comes in many forms. He first discovered Wizio through an on-campus accelerator, was super impressed with the team and mission, offered to help them as an intern, eventually becoming a co-founder, and is now leading the charge in integrating VR into real estate and creating a more transparent and effective rental process. Here it goes. Hey guys, uh, welcome here today. Uh, we have John Puma, who is the co-founder and COO of Wizio. Um, they are a VR software that helps realtors and, and real estate companies uh, show off apartments and properties. Uh, so John, go introduce yourself and kind of uh, give us a little, little bit more of a background on, on who you are and, and what Wizio does. Yeah, thanks Ben for having me on and congrats on launching this podcast. Uh, it's a really great resource for you know, entrepreneurs trying to start a new company. So, Thanks, um, man. Yeah, I appreciate I'm it. I'm John. I've been working on Wizio uh, for the past two years or so. Uh, and essentially, we're building a platform for property managers and brokerages uh, to market and manage their listings. Uh, so we've started in Boston, uh, focusing specifically on the apartment rental market here. Uh, so we're unique in that we only do apartments. Um, you know, there are other companies in the space that focus on sales listings or commercial, um, but Boston and apartment rental market is really unique. And, you know, it's, it's been a challenge, uh, but we've come up with a model uh, that works. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I know that you mentioned you guys only do apartments, are uh, only focusing in, in Boston. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about why you saw that as, as being the specific, you know, niche that you wanted to, uh, to target, um, and, and exactly like what you saw in there and what room you saw for growth that, that made you want to target it? Yeah. So I'd say that the reason we started with apartment rentals is really the whole reason why we started Wizio. And it was out of a problem that we had as college students. I know we were, you know, our second, third year of school looking for an off-campus apartment and, you know, with a few roommates, you'd spend hours online looking at Craigslist ads and all the other marketing sites. You'd be looking at listings that had fake photos, uh, photos of entirely different properties, uh, some that are, you know, from different countries even. And you'd reach out and you'd say, I'm interested in that unit. And you'd spend your time, you'd spend the real estate agent's time running around the city, looking at apartments. And then you show up and it's nothing like you saw online. So you've just wasted everybody's time in the process. And, you know, it was very clear that this is the issue that especially college students are having in Boston. And that still remains true today. And, you know, we, we just saw the opportunity of, you know, virtual reality was just coming up at the time. And we saw the opportunity to combine the two, uh, bring VR to apartment rentals. And that's kind of where it started. And we built our initial relationships in the rental market. And it, we've just kind of gone from there. But it all started out of that initial need to fix the problem we were facing. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that makes total sense. You know, from what I've seen, I think a lot of the best companies are started uh, by, you know, a team, group of people kind of see something that's flawed in the status quo and they go and try to fix it. 
Um, I know you mentioned VR. I, I'm just a little bit more curious, like how exactly uh, does the product work? And I'm just wondering, like, what is the biggest differentiator between what Wizio does and what um, you know other companies do when when you go onto their platform and you do kind of like the drag and drop within a, an apartment? Um, what's the differentiating factor? Yeah. So I'd say the main thing with currently what's out there on sites like Zillow or Craigslist are your traditional photos. And, you know, they can be altered. You can make it look bigger than it actually is. And that kind of goes back to that initial reason why we started is we need to make it a more transparent process. Uh, so what we're doing is we're using 360 cameras. Um, and, you know, 360 cameras have come out, you know, in the last few years. but there are a ton of them now. Um, and essentially what it, what we do is we send out a photographer uh, to a listing and then they take a photo, a 360 photo of each room. Uh, and then we upload all of those photos to the Wizio platform and it creates that interactive virtual tour. So you have a much better idea of what the space looks like. You can feel like you're actually there without going. Uh, you can't hide anything because it's a 360 photo. Uh, so there's nothing to edit out. You know, you you get what you see, basically. Um, so we compile all these virtual tours and then we sell them to realtors and property managers uh, to help them market their listings uh, and increase the experience uh, for the tenants. Awesome. Yeah, so from what I'm seeing right now, I... I think it's not necessarily a two-sided marketplace, but there are definitely you know multiple um, factors when it comes to the person who's going to be paying for for the service. So, um, so one one question would be, what's like the uh, the revenue model for you guys when it comes to who's actually paying for you to come take these photos, and then also how do you find and 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 pay the uh, the photographers that are that are actually taking the photos? Because so, I'm guessing they aren't the the same person. Yeah. So we have actually been through a few different business models over the past two years. And that's really just because of, you know, where we're at, learning more about the industry, uh, making mistakes. And we've settled on a business model that, that fits the rental market here. Uh, so essentially, uh, any unit that is available on the market, uh, we send out a photographer uh, to create that virtual tour. And we're essentially taking that cost up front. And then we are charging a monthly subscription fee to real estate agents to access that content. So essentially, we're building a, a large database of these virtual tours for apartments. And then we give them to the agents through a subscription model. Okay, wow. Okay, yeah. So that actually is, is different from what I originally thought. So so you're getting people who are kind of like freelancers coming into an apartment. Do they have to um do they have to let like the real estate agent know that they're coming or do they come maybe like during like an open house or something and, and take the photos there? Yeah. So basically we work with the property managers uh and we gain access mm -hmm. through them to go into the units whenever they're vacant. Uh so there there's no tenants in them currently. Uh, it's either whenever the the past last person moved out, uh, we come in during that that short time frame. Uh, and in Boston, that's typically uh, September first is the biggest day for the turnovers. Uh, so nearly eighty percent of apartments turn over in Boston, and that's just because of how many college students there are here. 
so you have that window of basically 48 hours uh, that you can get in there and take photos. Um, and to go off of your, to answer your last question uh, about where we find these photographers, um, the majority of the ones we work with are currently either uh, photography students in one of the local schools or people that just enjoy photography as kind of a hobby and are interested in virtual reality or real estate. Uh, we've had a lot of inbound interest from people in the space that are just, you know, want to learn more about what we're doing and see this as an opportunity to uh, further their skills in photography. Cool. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, and I, I know that, you know, there was an article that came out saying that you guys actually captured VR content for 5% of uh, the total Boston apartments that were available for that September 1st move-in. Um, and I just want to kind of, you know, dive into that and how how did you guys do that? Like, were you guys planning for, you know, for like the past year, knowing that September 1st is this huge date? Just what, what were kind of some of the big moves that you guys were planning um, to have, you know, that, that major impact on, on that date? Yeah. So I can't go into all of the, the specifics around how we did it, but... Uh, it did take a lot of planning, um, a lot of working with property managers and brokers. Um, you know, a lot of our customers were really helpful in setting it up. Um, just as you can imagine, running around thousands of properties uh, during that 48-hour time period was really an operational challenge. Uh, having different photographers in different parts of the city, uh, you know, it, it was a challenge. Um, and we definitely learned a lot. This was our first September 1st filming. Uh, that we did at a such a large scale like this. Um, so we're, we were really excited that it, it worked out. Um, we learned a lot for next year, um, but we, you know, have furthered our status and grew to about 5% of the market currently. Nice. Um, and I know that, you know, 5% is huge, but when, when you guys look at it at a high level perspective, like what are you trying to, what numbers are you kind of trying to hit in Boston um, before you guys start, you know, maybe expanding into other areas. I know that you guys are in DC right now. Um, but are you really trying to keep like Boston, you know, that home base where you guys eventually take over everything and slowly creep into other territories? Or are you guys planning on doing that more in the short term and focusing on Boston, you know, um, kind of on the back burner? Yeah. So Boston has really been our focus and I'd say the majority, you know, the reason behind that is just because we all went to Northeastern. Uh, all of our initial customers, our relationships, our advisors are based here in the city, and that's kind of just what we fell into. Um, we have start, started to identify other markets that would be good for what we're doing. Uh, so we have uh, a few customers down in Houston currently. Um, Houston is an entirely different market for real estate, um, which would be a whole other conversation. Um, so Boston is very unique in what we're doing. The business model we have up in Boston would not fit in Houston, um, mainly mm -hmm. because of the broker uh, and tenant represent the, the relationship between the two. Um, so we are looking at other markets to expand to. Uh, we're slowly doing that. We'd like to reach about a 20% uh, market share in Boston before fully expanding into a new city, um, just to you know further prove ourselves to customers, investors. Uh, you know, kind of the overall community and gain, uh, you know, increase Wizio as a, a brand that people know. Gotcha. Yeah, totally makes sense. I know that um, kind of from experience and, and from seeing other companies do this, when you start spreading yourself a little too thin, 
you definitely um, are able to provide that that service and just the quality that your customers are expecting in, in all those different areas. So it's super important to really establish yourself somewhere before you, um, you know, start going everywhere else. So, you know, definitely, definitely good to hear that. And, you know, I know you mentioned uh, that you were from Northeastern and all of your co-founders were from Northeastern. And I know that, you know, from, from talking to you before this, you spoke about how you weren't the original, like, creator of the company, you you weren't like the person who just fully came up with the idea and how you actually joined uh, Wizio after they had already been created. Um, and I, I just want to, you know, talk a little bit about that because a lot of the times when people think about, you know, being an entrepreneur, they're envisioning themselves as being the person that, you know, gets that idea and then brings it from right. from completely the ground up when, you know, there are many other viable paths you can join uh an already, you know, successful team that's just doing something just because you really like what they're doing, want to help. Um, and I, I know that's that's really similar to what your story was. So I'd, I'd love to, to hear more about it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so it's definitely a unique story. And that would be my piece of advice to anyone thinking about either starting or joining an early stage startup is that, you know, I saw Wizio going through the on-campus accelerator uh, and I was actually part of the Entrepreneurs Club team at the time, uh, which was putting on that accelerator. Uh, so I got to, you know, witness firsthand uh, that initial founding team, uh, what the what their mission was, uh, how they worked together, uh, and the reaction that basically everyone else in the community had to them. Uh, and that reaction was basically what drew me to uh, reaching out to the team at the time. Uh, and saying, you know, I'm really interested in what you guys are doing. Uh, is there any way I can get involved? And that would be my piece of advice is, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and just learn more about a startup that you see and, you know, you're interested in. Uh, you know, don't feel that, you know, they've already settled on their official team. They don't want anyone else to join until they start hiring people. Uh, that's definitely not the case with, you know, either Wizio at the time or any other startups that I've seen go through Northeastern specifically is you know people are always looking to talk to you know new potential hires or just gain feedback on what they're working on uh so that's kind of how it started with me i i initially started as kind of a part-time intern essentially uh working on specific projects for wizio and i stuck with them throughout that year and my time at northeastern uh until i in, until i joined full-time after graduating uh last may Great. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, just hearing that uh, you're, you're talking about how you went from, you know, seeing this as a, as an outsider, essentially wanting to get involved quickly, you know, messaging the, 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 the people, the founders saying, Hey, is there any way I can help um, providing enough value after you do that to the point where, you know, you're, you're a co-founder, you're you essentially are, you know, when people look back at this in like five, 10 years, uh, it, it doesn't matter like when you started exactly, you're a co-founder, you know, you uh, really added that that important value. So it's it's definitely good to o always have that, um, that be an option for everyone because a lot of people get bogged down because they don't have that idea, but you might not even need to have that idea. You could just be the person that can help someone else grow theirs. So that's, you know, it's awesome yeah. that you mentioned it. And yeah, I mean, I yeah, would, sorry, go I ahead. Would say, you know, even if you're joining early on, it's, it's not really about that title of being a founder, you know, being the first employee at such an early stage or, you know, one of the first people to join the team is still really a big deal. 
uh, you are just a part of it as much as anyone else. Uh, and you're gaining the same experience, I'd say. Uh, you know, other than the title, uh, you know, you still can learn a lot and there's a lot of room to grow that early on. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about how you decided to take the leap from, uh, you know, it's one thing if you're working on this while, while you're in school, uh, but, but actually going full time and, and pursuing this after graduation. Um, can you walk me kind of through your mindset at that time? You know, a lot of people would get nervous, you know, they, they want to get a traditional job, they want a good paycheck. Um, right. But but yeah, tell me kind of your story and, and why you decided to, to focus on this in, instead of going a traditional route. Right. Yeah, I'd say it was definitely a big adjustment uh, going full time on an early stage startup. Uh, you know, through Northeastern, if you're familiar with the co-op program, um, I was going to, you know, coming out of Northeastern, already having worked full time uh, for a little over a year for one of the big four accounting firms. So at one point, I was very much in that mindset that that's what I'm going to do after I graduate. You know, it's a reliable, steady job that, you know, I can learn a lot in and grow. Uh, and, you know, that was what I was thinking for a while. And then I uh, worked at Mass Challenge with you. I uh, worked at the Entrepreneurs Club on campus, and that was kind of my introduction to the entrepreneurship startup side of things. And that really excited me, and I, you know, got interested in different topics. And, you know, I, I didn't just jump right into founding a, my own startup uh, right out of college. Uh, I kind of eased into it, learning more about what I really want to do. Uh, so I went into graduating and joining full time, you know, completely ready for that transition. Um, but once I did that, it still was something new that you had to get used to. Uh, so you go from what you're used to for four or five years at college, you know, classes, clubs, and then the startup on the side to your full day is committed to working on the, your startup. And that was a big leap, just the day-to-day -day routine, uh, you know, realizing that this is what you need to make happen. And you know, your, kind of, your future really depends on making it work. So it, it was definitely not the traditional route to go, especially from Northeastern. Um, I'd say that Northeastern is set up with the co-op programs so that when you graduate, you're, you're basically guaranteed a job from wherever you work. And you know, that may be the case, but I'd say, you know, kind of the ecosystem around entrepreneurship is really developed over the past few years that, you know, it's become a new normal to work on a startup during your time at school uh, and even, you know, continue on after. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, just to kind of get a little, little deeper to like, how does it feel, you know, or how did it feel to, you know, you graduate, you probably see a bunch of your friends um, get these like, you know, high paying jobs, where, you know, maybe they're getting like their training for like two, three months, you know, they're kind of going, learning. Um, and essentially it's like, in a way it's like being back at school, uh, but you're just getting paid for now. So I know that, you know, you're over there, you know, building this company, grinding in some, you know, probably like little office if you even had one at that time. Um, just kind of walk through like the mentality, like what are you kind of, you know, telling yourself because, you know, I, you know I, I don't know if you felt like this, but, you know, I, I would feel like, yeah, did I make a mistake? You know, maybe I could have had that. 
um, just doubting yourself, like what was going through your head exactly and, and what kept you, you know, really focusing on, on Wizio and not saying, oh, maybe, maybe I'll start applying for jobs on the side and, and things like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, I that thought definitely crossed my mind, you know, kind of early on uh, after joining full time. And it's hard not to think about those things just because that's what's going on around you. Uh, for the most part, your friends are going to be at those, you know, steady jobs. They're going to have uh, a more regular schedule than you. Uh, and it can get tough at times, uh, you know, sitting in an office, it, you know, like, like you said, if you have one or if you're back on campus in, you know, a co-working space. Um, but a lot of my time early on was spent, you know, by myself, you know, in a WeWork, by, you know, because we're a small team, you know, a lot of times you're working on projects by yourself uh, and it can be hard to motivate yourself sometimes. Um, and I'd say that the thing that kept me going was, you know, telling myself, you know, what I was learning right now and the experiences I was having, uh, you know, is a lot more than, you know, anyone else is having or I would have had if I had joined, you know, a larger firm. Um, so it's, it's kind of like recognizing those types of small things, the new skills you pick up, uh, and overall, you know, experience in starting this new company, uh, you know, whatever it may be, learning how to do taxes for your business or how to get insurance. Like that's all stuff that you would never have to do at an established company. Um, so I'd say, you know, recognizing that that's happening and then just also like celebrating the small wins. So, you know, not everything is going to go great, but you also don't know if you're going to fail until you do. So celebrating the, the small wins, uh, you know, whether that's getting some good, you know, press from, you know, a local paper or whatever it is uh, to, you know, getting a new customer or, you know, th- those types of things can really motivate you more than you might think they would. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and um, something that I heard a long time ago was, you know, you go and start your own thing, you know, best case scenario, you succeed and, you know, life is great. Uh, worst case scenario, you fail. Um, but the stuff that you learn throughout that process can now help you get, you know, an even better job than you could have um, in, the, in before you started. So it's, it's, it's really scary when you jump into things. But when you when you look at it, like holistically, and, and really think about all the value that you're getting there, it's, it's really, you know, you might be losing on some things, but but overall, it's it's kind of a win win. Um, if you're at least like, you know, trying really hard and, and going all in. Um, so yeah, I want to I want to talk a little bit more about uh, Wizio and, and how you guys are uh, are doing right now. So one thing I'm always interested in is like, how did you guys get your your first customers? And and when did you actually start receiving those those first paying customers when when the product was like, fully developed and, and fully ready to to be in use? Yeah, so kind of goes back to Northeastern again, and they had a lot of resources for startups on campus. Uh, and early on, we had met a few different advisors, uh, just through random meetings we had, we met people in the real estate space. Uh, and those initial connections, um, you know, provided us with a lot of feedback about the industry, but also uh, introductions to other people in the space. Uh, and those people became our first customers uh, once we had validated our model a little bit more uh, and continued to receive feedback from them. Uh, so every, every one of our first customers was basically a referral 
to an advisor. Um, and, you know, that's kind of how we, we, you know, real estate is very word of mouth industry, especially here in Boston. So, you know, we have one customer over here in this neighborhood and they introduce us to another one and it, it kind of spiraled like that. Yeah. So what, what tips would you have for anyone, you know, who's, who's in the real estate space, who at this moment might not have, you know, a ton of connections, like what, what tips would you give them to really uh, get their foot in the door in that space? Since like you said, you know, it is, uh, it is pretty exclusive and, you know, the people you're dealing with might not be, um, you know, the, the easiest people to deal with, you know, for, for various reasons. Uh-huh. Um, so just kind of give some advice to someone who, who wants to get into that space, but, but doesn't really have a, a too much of a background there. Yeah. So, I mean, I personally had no experience with real estate before joining with you other than that experience looking for an apartment. Uh, so it's definitely doable, uh, for anyone out there who wants to get in, but, you know, thinks they don't have the background for it. Um, I've learned a lot over the past two years. I never thought I would know so much about the process as I do today. Um, And my knowledge has just come from talking to uh, potential customers, but also people in the space that have nothing to do with uh, Wizio's business. Uh, So, you know, that might be, you know, a lender, uh, you know, or, you know, it could be anything, a property developer, um, commercial real estate, uh, people in the hotel space, hospitality, uh, they can teach you a lot about the industry without, you know, specifically overlapping with what you're most interested in. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, um, uh, another, another question I would have is, you know, what are the, or what were slash are the biggest obstacles for you, um, so far in, in Wizio? Like, you know, when it comes to actually, um, you know, p- people in the real estate, a lot of the times they rely on, you know, more legacy types of, you know, systems or, or, or ways of doing business. We were talking about this before, you know, a, a company like Craigslist is still, you know, the leader in, uh, yeah. in the space when you're looking for apartments. So they aren't typically at the forefront of, you know, innovation and, and high tech. So when you're coming in with this VR uh, company, like what, what were some of the biggest obstacles in getting there and how did you you know, get past those objections and, and really show the value that, that you guys are bringing. Yep. Yeah. I'd say that that was, and still is our biggest challenge for a lot of the people we work with. And I think that is still unique to Boston specifically, uh, and the rental market. So I'd say that technology has been adopted at more of a rapid pace in say commercial real estate. Um, so what we face is a lot of times, uh, the customers that we approach, uh, they have been around for decades and they use technology that is 20 years old and that's what they've always used. Uh, they have no interest in using anything new. Um, and they, the most common phrase we hear is, uh, it works good enough. Uh, that's how we've always done it. And that's a hard thing to get people past. Uh, so, before you even tell them what you're doing, they say they don't like technology. Uh, and then when you introduce VR as a topic, um, it's a hard sell. Um, and because of that, you know, these brokers and property managers that we work with, they have a lot of different challenges that they face. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're only solving one small part of that. And that's the marketing of their property. 
parties. Uh, so when you get deeper into conversations with them, you start to identify all of those other challenges. And, you know, at times they can get overwhelmed with, you know, all these different technologies and what you're actually providing, they confuse it with something else. Um, so a lot of our time spent in these sales meetings is actually just general education of what technology is out there. Uh, and then we explain how we kind of fit into the overall tech landscape in real estate. Um, so I'd say, you know, once we get them past that point of recognizing, you know, this is something they need or want, um, we, even early on with people who recognize that we were still an early stage company, uh, you know, there's just a few of us working on it. We're just out of Northeastern. Um, nobody really heard of us, you know, the biggest thing was they didn't trust us or we weren't, you know, we had no reputation in the industry. So that took some time to build. Um, we, we are going into properties. They have to be able to trust our photographers. Um, so that was just kind of, you know, more conversations with these people, uh, proving, you know, slowly proving that they can trust us. Um, one thing that helped a lot was getting uh, press coverage. Um, such as, you know, sites like Bostino or, you know, things like that. Um, the fact that other people are writing about you in a, a positive way, uh, and you can use that to your advantage when you're talking to potential customers. And you can kind of point to that and be like, oh, like they said this about us. Um, you know, we're, we actually mean, we actually know what we're doing. So uh, our biggest challenge is, you know, overcoming that, that legacy system and way of thinking uh, to get people away from how things have been done. For sure. Yeah. So, um, you, I think you, you know, talked about like two things that I think are, are super important to kind of drill down on. Um, the, the first thing is that, you know, a lot of times when you're in business, um, you're solving a problem that people might not necessarily even view as a problem. You know, they, they don't know that there's something better out there. They've been doing something, you know, their whole life and it's working fine. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes they view anything as a, anything that can improve that as a headache. Whereas, uh, you know, and, and what you guys did, or what you said you did was like, you don't go in there, you know, guns blazing, really trying to just, you know, show them exactly why, like you need yep. to switch today. You know, you, you said you slowly talk to them. You had a lot of conversations um, because a lot of the times, like if, if you come in and immediately say you need to stop doing what you're doing and do what we're doing, like people are going to think you're just some, you know, sneaky sales guy. Um, you're just trying, you're in it for the wrong reasons. Yep. Um, so, so that is definitely you know uh when you're when you're doing these kinds of deals that's the way yeah. to go yeah and i guess since you brought it up uh you know my answer to the last question we didn't intentionally go about it that way we learned the hard way <laughs> i'd say um very early on when we were still at northeastern um we had similar we had a, a an article come out about us and what we were planning to do in the industry and that was, you know, very early on, we knew nothing about how real estate worked in Boston. And we had our plan. We were going to do it no matter what it took uh, without talking to enough customers. And it made a lot of people very unhappy. Um, I think that's specific to real estate. And we approach things way too fast without learning enough about who our customers were going to be. Uh, so we had to take a step back and, you know, slow down and then go through that process that I just described. 
Yeah, yeah, of course. And and also it's super important, like like you mentioned, all the the media coverage you guys are getting, it's super important to be seen as a thought leader in the space. Um, you know, people are just wired to to trust people when other people trust them. So so that's right. always helpful. Um and, and now that you kind of mentioned uh that you really had to find out exactly who your, you know, ideal customer was, what what I'm curious about is when it comes from like a, a high level vision, like who is the um, that customer, you know, that customer persona that you guys are targeting, because when I imagine it, I'm thinking of a larger, um, you know, realtor, a larger property. It's hard for me to imagine, you know, small landlord. Um, you know, actually, I lived in Mission Hill for a summer. Okay. I, I could imagine like that building that, that had like 30 units that were, you know, in, in whatever condition, just throwing college students in there. Um, right. And they're using something like this. So what is, you know, what's that exact uh, customer that, that you're targeting? And, and do you plan on having this become something that everyone should have eventually? Or are you really sticking to uh, a certain segment of the market uh, on having this? Yeah. Uh, so we currently are targeting uh, small to mid-sized property managers. Uh, so that means most of the people we work with uh, represent between 50 and close to one or 2,000 listings. And the reason for that is, you know, they're large enough that they have this pain point of, you know, not having a great marketing solution and uh, introducing this next type of uh, content for their apartments. Um, and it allows us to grow faster than it would targeting those small landlords that maybe have one or two uh, units in Mission Hill. Um, and there are a lot of those in Boston. And, you know, while we aren't working with them right now, I think over time, as this type of technology becomes more uh, widely adopted in the industry, uh, those landlords will start coming to us uh, and will, you know, make that mutual uh, connection. Uh, but for now, we're targeting um, the small to mid-size. Gotcha. Makes sense. Uh, and then, and now to kind of back up and, and talk a little bit about the numbers. So um, I don't know exactly like, you know, whatever you're comfortable with giving, but how many customers uh, do you guys currently have? How many, you know, partners are you guys working with? Um, and then revenue for the past, say like um, so far in, in, in 2018, uh, a kind of range that you're comfortable with giving. Yeah. Um, so the the big metric that we work off of is that, that number of apartments on our platform, uh, which we already said earlier was uh, just over 5,000 or so uh, unique listings. Um, so total number is uh, a bit larger than that, um, but kind of the, the target customer that we just talked about, uh, we're working with uh, a little over a dozen of them right now, um, just because uh, brokers in the city represent such a large number of apartments typically. And then for, you know, the first few months of 2018, I'd say we've done about 25,000 or so um, as we're transitioning to a, a new business model. Gotcha. And um, say like after the, the transition's complete, what do you envision? Um, I, I don't know if there's something you could answer, but like what, what do you envision as uh, the dollar sign per unit um, that you guys are planning to, to make? Like, like what, is that, um, what does that look like? If that's the way you're even even tracking it, yeah, I I think it's a little different because we're doing a subscription model. Um, the dollar amount per unit mm -hmm. is actually very small uh, if you divide it across the price of the subscription. Um, and there's an intentional reason behind that in that 
because these rental agents are representing, you know, hundreds or even a thousand listings at their uh, firm, they're not going to be paying a high price per per virtual tour that they have. Um, and in the rental space, the margins are very slim. Uh, the commissions that they're making are are very small in the majority of the apartments in the city. Um, so they're not willing to pay a higher price uh, for this type of content. So we had to, to create this model, this subscription model that spreads that price out, you know, across, across a number of listings uh, over a period of time. So it's, gotcha. it's it makes a little sense. different. It's not, you know, we're not saying, you know, every tour is, you know, we want to get, have a return of $200 on that apartment. Makes sense. Um, and then to to better understand, you know, the value that you guys are, are creating, could you kind of give us some numbers on, um, let's say, you know, uh, an apartment that has Wizio is doing, you know, X better, X much better than like, say, right. the same apartment that wouldn't have Wizio. What, what kind of numbers are those? Yeah. So the numbers that we like to use are uh, by using Wizio's virtual tours. Uh, our clients can close uh, twice as many sight unseal, unseen deals. Uh, so that means uh, tenants that never actually go to the apartment in person and they make that decision to rent based off uh, solely on the virtual tour. Uh, the second is uh, we, Wizio virtual tours can cut down the number of in-person tours uh, by as much as 50%. So, uh, our selling point is you can send a client uh, 10 Wizio virtual tours and then the client can narrow it down to maybe one or two that they want to see in person. And by the time they get there, they're much more ready to make that decision. Um, so those metrics are wow. yeah, operational huge. and efficiency um, metric, I'd say. Um, but those are very big ones for uh, our customers. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, when, when you're talking about, you know, people in real estate brokers, um, they kind of, you know, spend, spend the entire day, you know, showing apartments. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, who knows if the person's going to buy, right. they might just go somewhere else. You, you never know. And it's, and you don't get paid until, until they do sign that lease. So, so something like this, you know, I yeah. can obviously see why, uh, there's a demand for it. Yeah, I, um, and that, now, you know, I want to talk a little, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that the, that's the, the third component is, uh, building that relationship with their clients. So they can basically in Boston, you can work with any agent that you want. Um, the majority of the agents all represent the same apartment. So it's a matter of trust in building that relationship. Uh, if you work with one agent who uses virtual tours for all of their listings, uh, we've seen that that client is much more inclined to continue working with you rather than jumping ship and going to find another realtor. Uh, so that that is really key. It's a, a relationship business in real estate. So uh, we're trying to build that. Yeah, and those are always you know a lot more difficult than uh, building something clear like a product where you you build it, you know it works, and then you put it out. The relationships are right. something that you never know what might happen, and it could take a, take a long time. Um, and now just to kind of understand the competitive landscape, like there there are definitely you know other companies that um, have virtual tours. I, I don't believe they're, you know, like virtual reality where they're fully 360, but are you seeing, um, are, are you targeting right now people who don't use any, any kind of software at all? Or are you also targeting companies that they're that using that other virtual tour software and showing them why Wizio is, is a better bet? Yeah. 
So I'd say that the current solutions on the market uh, are mostly catered to sales listings. And that is a much higher production. Uh, you'll typically hire a photographer that does these virtual tours and it'll cost you a few hundred dollars. And because of that, nobody does them for rentals. Uh, the other competitor that we've seen pop up in the rental space are solutions that are uh, a do-it-yourself model. So they teach, they give real estate agents a 360 camera and have them go out and do it themselves. Uh, so they're creating their own content. Uh, so Wizio is unique in that we're really the only ones that provide the full service. Uh, we're not making the real estate agents spend their time taking photos. Uh, we do that for them. Uh, so we're kind of a, a full service solution. Um, but the landscape is still developing and, you know, we keep seeing new companies enter the space. Um, but no one's doing uh, exactly what we are currently. Makes sense. Uh, and from, from what I'm hearing, uh, this sounds like this company is, is largely bootstrapped or, or fully boots, bootstrapped. Where, where do you guys stand in terms of uh, raising money? Um, have you raised any money? And if, if not, is that something that you're planning on doing anytime soon? Yeah. So um, we've received uh, two grants from the, the Northeastern uh, on-campus incubator, uh, both for about 10000 each. Um, and we're currently raising a small friends and family um, angel round, I'd say. Um, and we're closing that up soon. Uh, but we do have the plans to raise a, a larger seed round uh, in the upcoming months um, to head into the next rental season, uh, basically late late this spring. Gotcha. Any, any words of advice for um, someone who is trying to either get a grant or, or get that first you know, friends and family around um, where they might not have, you know, a ton of rich friends or, or rich family or, or like know those people have those kinds of connections. Yeah, I'd say definitely leverage the, the on-campus resources if you're, you know, still within that community, a current student or a recent alumni, uh, leverage it for those types of grants, um, but also for the connections. Uh, so you don't have to have them within your direct network currently, but you can kind of go about it the same way that I talked about finding our first customers and advisors, uh, you know, just sit down with people. They don't have to be in the industry you're working on, but if you know that they work with other companies, other startups, um, they can always introduce you to angel investors or just other people. Uh, they might know somebody who works at a large firm in your space that, you know, has an investment arm or something like that. You really never know what you're going to find. Um, but other word of advice is definitely start early. Take advantage of those, you know, grants that have specific deadlines and criteria, that kind of thing. Uh, because once you start getting dis discussions with uh, friends and family, angel investors, uh, angel groups, or small VCs, uh, that takes a very long time. Um, and it's something we learned. Uh, you, you really have to budget for uh, being prepared to being prepared for it to take a long time. And, you know, I know a lot of people say, you know, fundraising is a pain and it takes forever. Um, you really don't recognize that until you're actually in that process uh, that it was, it was not a rumor. It's, it's actually true. So definitely start <laughs> as early as you can. Yeah, for sure. When you're raising money, it's always good to, uh, kind of like think of how long it's going to take and, and then maybe just double that to be safe. 
Double, um, triple. Yeah. So that's <laughs> definitely, yeah, yeah, keep, yeah, keep going as, as, as far as you can. It's always good to have a long runway. Um, and, you know, as we're kind of winding this down, I, I want to, you know, ask a, a more broad question. So you guys are in the VR space, like on a personal level, what are you, what are you most excited about uh, in the space, you know, outside of, um, you know, outside of real estate, what other, you know, areas, industries do you think are going to be most disrupted by this technology? Um, and, and, and how do you think that's going to play out? And, and when do you think we're going to start seeing, you know, real game changing companies come in and, and really uh, shift the landscape? Yeah. So I'd say a little bit of a background on where it's currently at. Um, over the past few years, all of the money and all of the use has really been in gaming, VR and gaming. Um, that's where the dollar spend is right now. Uh, real estate and things like um, healthcare are like less than 1% of the overall VR market. And I think oh, wow. that that's going to change. Um, those numbers are going to go up in uh, real estate, healthcare, and uh, the education space, I'd say. And I think that that is kind of due to a movement towards more functional uses of virtual reality and augmented reality. Uh, so, you know, gaming is cool in VR, um, but is it solving a day-to-day need for corporations or individuals? And I'd say that's the reason why things like real estate, looking for an apartment, um, used by hospitals, um, I think those are going to pick up a lot more. Um, especially in Boston, I'd say that the biggest thing will be in healthcare, just because Boston is such a, a healthcare hub. Um, I know a lot of the hospitals and practices, um, insurance companies are, are testing out new types of uh, treatments or, you know, whatever it may be to improve uh, patient outcomes. Uh, so that's, that's the biggest space that I see uh, growth in VR right now. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, I, I think there's always like that, that shift where it goes from, um, you know, something that's really fun and, and enjoyable in your life to the point where it's something that drastically improves your day-to-day life. Whereas, you know, gaming is really cool. You throw on a headset uh, and you feel like you're right there, you know, whether right. it's like Fortnite or whatever. Um, but, but like when I think about, you know, VR and AR, I really kind of imagine, you know, a world where like we're just walking down the street, you look at someone and you're able to like, you know, you get information about them and, and they have that about you. It's kind of like, uh, a social network, but, but it's, you know, in real life it's happening. Um, and there's, you know, a ton of, uh, uses for that in the medical space. If someone comes in with like an injury, immediately being able to tell, you know, who this person is, what their blood type is and things like that. Um, you know, that's, that's what I envision. No idea how far away that is, but it's also a little scary, (laughs) but, but definitely interesting. Yeah. I'd say that the other reason it's kind of moving away from, that the use like uh, gaming is that if you're you know buying a VR game, you're most likely already already going to have the headset that you need for it to be compatible with the game. Um, and the reality is for this functional use of AR and VR, um, the hardware is still not at a place that every person has it. Uh, it's just a bit too expensive and in certain cases hard to use. Uh, so that's why I think adoption has been uh, slow in other areas is because things have required you to have a headset. Uh, so, for example, with Wizio, you know, we're, we can't have a website that people go to but need, uh, you know, 
Oculus to use. Uh, you know, it's just not yeah. reality at the moment. Um, so you have to make it um, more accessible for everyone, uh, which is why you know we're all mobile and web-based at the moment. Um, we used to have headset compatibility, but it got ver very little use, and it didn't make sense to keep that uh, you know as a supported feature. And I think probably in two or three years that might start to change. Um, just as new companies come out with cheaper alternatives to the, the headsets that are currently on the market. Yeah, for sure. I mean, requiring anyone to do anything outside of their home, I think, with, with a headset is, is, gonna, is a little much. Like yep. no, one, no one really wants to do that. But what, do you, what do you think? You know, I mean, this, I, there's like been a lot of guessing, a lot of speculation, but what do you think is going to be the piece of hardware that people are actually going to be wearing that allows them to tap into this like virtual uh, or augmented world? Because I've always pictured you know, something like a Google Glass, um, not the way they made it, but you know, maybe like a hologram or something, but, but definitely, you know, I think glasses, um, yeah. from my point of view or something that I, I think, I think would be leading the way in, in hardware. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I'd say glasses or sunglasses, um, some sort of mix between the Google glass and something like the, the Snapchat spectacles, I'd say. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think that would become the most widely adopted. Um, I, I think it's just the, it's not something that you would feel weird about using, I'd say, uh, as long as it, it doesn't look ridiculous. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, you have to cross that uh, from the, the, from weird to, <laughs> to mainstream and then kind of everyone, everyone hops on. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, that's awesome. Awesome to hear. It's, it's always exciting to, um, to watch like this space. Uh, it's definitely, you know, a, a big buzzword VR. Um, but it's, it's really cool to see you guys actually, putting that into use, uh, getting real customers and, and creating real value um, for mul multiple ecosystems. Um, excited for you guys to continue growing in, in Boston. Uh, hopefully you guys come to New York soon. There's definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of opportunity and a lot of work to be done in, uh, in the city in terms of real estate. So um, looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks a lot. And I appreciate you having me on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much, John. Take care. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks again for listening. If you like what you heard, go rate and subscribe to the podcast. Even share it if you think the lessons were valuable. Stay tuned for more episodes and till next time.